This is Some Scuffs. My name is Tafel Lee and this is our mini-series, The Blanket Fort Sessions. In this series, I'll be reading personal essays that I've collected from some friends on how they managed to discover connection during the circuit breaker. This is essay number three, and it's by one of my favourite journalists in the world, Grace. Grace is a seasoned writer with countless interviews over the span of her six-year career under her belt. But when the pandemic hit, she found herself in unknown territory. In her essay, she talks about how her job changed when she was prevented from meeting her newsmakers face to face. How to talk to screens. For the longest time, I thought I knew how to be a good journalist. And then the circuit breaker forbade me from meeting people in person. When the Singapore government made the announcement on April 3rd that the nation would begin the indefinite circuit breaker four days later, I scrambled to imagine my new normal without physical contact. This meant I had to conduct all interviews virtually. I'm a little averse to change, but even as I rebelled internally, I tried to reassure myself that this fundamental change in the way I did my job would ultimately prove inconsequential. After all, I still get my interview answers. What could I possibly lose without physical contact? Early on in the circuit breaker, the first time this disconnect came through was over a WhatsApp conference call with Mrs. Lee who's a victim of domestic abuse, and her social worker. Just before we spoke, I was warned her connection was unstable. Well, that changes things, I thought. I would have appreciated a heads up. A wonky connection meant that I had to get to the heart of the story ASAP before I lost her focus. But there was no way I could immediately dive into the domestic abuse she endured from her husband for 13 years without it feeling like a callous violation. We eventually got there, and I told her, I'm going to ask you questions about your abuse now. I need you to give me concrete and detailed examples, as best as you can. Anytime you feel uncomfortable, or you need to take a break, just tell me. Okay? I said this before our conversation began, but no harm repeating important things. She said okay. But it was not okay. Almost every time she broached a significant anecdote, like how her husband would smash her cosmetic or shampoo bottles in his rage until they were bent out of shape, or the time he snatched her spectacles off her face, the line broke up. Her social worker had to reconnect us. While he reached her, I jotted down notes where she left off. After less than a minute, although it felt like 10, I finally got her on the line and asked her to repeat herself. The second time is usually different. People don't just summarize their points when they repeat themselves. Their emotions are also muted. The joy, sadness, fear, anger in the initial answer is less palpable. It's like she was reading off a checklist of her talking points, 
consciously dispassionate as she raced to unearth her trauma before her terrible data connection cut her off once more. I told her to take her time. It's okay, no rush. But the line broke up again, and I forced myself to stifle my frustration while her social worker reconnected us. I can't be certain that Mrs. Lee would be comfortable meeting me in person, my preferred interview style, without the circuit breaker. But at least I could push for that option. The longer we spoke, the more I was painfully aware that this interview would be better if we could physically interact. In person, for example, it's easier to hold space for someone to recollect their difficult thoughts and feelings simply by sitting next to them. You don't have to say or do anything. Physical presence is enough. Over the phone or video call, holding space can come across as dead air, unless I explicitly tell them to take their time, which really doesn't have the same effect. The absence of non-verbal visual cues only made its significance more pronounced. And with the added pressure of getting her answers before technology failed us for the nth time, we're in heightened interview mode, where the goal was to get good answers, not to have a good conversation. She continued elaborating on her story like the perfect interviewee, and I told her I had what I needed for now. Afterwards, I transcribed her interview and sent it to her, highlighting all the bits where I needed more details. She studiously filled them in, giving me better content, like a student finishing their homework. I got the answers I needed, but I didn't get the interview I wanted. It's all very clinical. I was so thoroughly unsatisfied. It is possible to have a great interview over the phone or video call which I have done and will continue to do. But even the best ones lack the warmth of physical interactions. I miss sitting beside my interviewees to get them to feel more comfortable. Based on my scant experience, looking in the same direction can make someone feel like they're talking to a friend rather than an interviewer. I miss helping my interviewee feel safe around my energy by letting my guard down and being more relaxed around them, hoping they absorb and mirror my laid-back energy. But by far, the thing I miss most about face-to-face -face interviews is, ironically, the end. When I realize how gratifying and humbling that two human beings, often strangers, made an effort to show up, to be near each other, to let the other into their physical and psychological space for a few hours. Up until the end of phase one on June 18th, my final interaction with interviewees involved pressing a red button to hang up or experiencing the awkward two second silence as we fumbled to exit the Zoom meeting, all at once left facing a blank screen. Without nonverbal visual cues, I only had words. You'd think this would be a writer's dream, but words aren't as meaningful without context. And context in this case meant being able to see somebody's body language while they were speaking. Part of active listening involves picking up on implicit signs of someone's comfort level, 
but I wasn't afforded the luxury of seeing them cross their arms or furtively scratch their ear to indicate distrust or discomfort. Even over Zoom, these cues don't come through as viscerally because the screen acts as a barrier. When I spoke, I had to phrase my questions more succinctly and intentionally, making every word count. I had to cut out the white noise, lest I lost my interviewee's attention span to terrible data connection or general COVID brain sludge. Yet one thing remained the same. The core of a successful interview is being able to be as vulnerable with your interviewees as you require them to be with you. And when words were all I had, I became a better thinker, listener, and journalist. What do we lose without physical contact? I don't know if I've adequately described how peculiarly detached this job, whose crux lies in human interaction, has felt in the last two months. At the halfway mark, I felt like we lost a part of our humanity. Slightly more than two months into a new normal, I'd like to think we're redefining the things that make us human. So it's been some time since Grace wrote that piece. And since then, she's learned to orchestrate virtual interviews deftly. One thing she's found most helpful is to use COVID as the icebreaker. I think because the whole nation is collectively going through this pandemic at the same time, it's a very natural conversation to have. And I almost feel as if since COVID happened, everyone has been a lot more open in talking about their mental health, or at least how they've been doing whether it's anxiety or depression or just general sense of restlessness. So when you're able to be that vulnerable, I guess, with your emotions or with your mental state of mind, then I think that in a way helps to reconcile the lack of physical presence for me at least. Yeah. And so at the beginning, yeah. Yeah, so at the beginning of conversations, I'll just usually ask them how they've been doing and then if they share very superficial answers like, oh yeah, I'm doing fine, I'm good. I will usually tell them, oh really, I'm losing my mind. And that kind of, uh, you know, it breaks the ice in the conversation because I'm a lot more candid and they would feel a lot more comfortable knowing that I will be talking to them as a, as a person, as a human being, rather than just as an interviewer who wants to take answers out of them. Grace also observed how conversations have a different rhythm and flow over Zoom. In Zoom interviews, you don't talk over each other either. And that's what we do naturally in person. And that kind of actually moves the conversation along or builds the relationship and makes the two parties a little more comfortable with each other, just getting to know each other's energy and vibe. Yeah, but on Zoom, once you talk over each other, that actually increases the awkwardness. So when one person just talks by himself or herself, it feels like they are presenting the answers rather than talking. But also at the same time, without uh, that natural conversation flow in person, I've been guiding them a lot less. And I realized that you know what, it's fine. I think it's also, it's, it's a good thing in that the interviewee actually is able to fully flesh out their thoughts on their own. And when you're able to do that without someone interrupting you, I think it also kind of makes you uh, a little more intentional and deliberate in what you're saying. So the answers on their end have also been possibly better than if it were to be in person. 
one of my stories I did about mental health initiatives was focused specifically on how mental health has been taken online during this time and the way that people seek help is actually through having like these intimate sharing sessions with strangers. A lot of these sessions happen to be like within groups of six, seven people, like friends of friends or acquaintances or just within the same neighborhood, they decide to hold like a Zoom party or like a house party video call. Yeah, and then they essentially just get to know one another, share stuff about their state of mind. I think it's quite therapeutic and quite cathartic. And so when I was in one of these sessions, I actually found that my listening skills that had been built up over the last two months of not being able to see people in person uh, actually did benefit me quite a bit in my participation. I found myself listening to conversations a lot more intently, less desire to jump in with my own thoughts and to complete someone's sentence or to guess where the person is going. I realized that when I don't see people in person, my time with them isn't just limited but it's also I have to be very focused on their verbal cues or whatever they tell me verbally. I don't have their physical presence to indicate whether they are comfortable or whether they are telling the truth, whether whether it's the way they stand or how close they stand to me to let me know whether they are comfortable with me. I don't have that anymore so I have been listening a lot more intently picking up a lot more on I guess the words that they use, uh, trying to make them feel a lot more comfortable with my responses as well. Uh, so I'll bounce off points that they say to make them know that they're heard. And so in that way, I think active listening has been a mm -hmm. feel that I wouldn't have noticed that I was missing it if not for this whole COVID-19 situation. I think the pandemic is teaching a lot of us not only to slow down, but to listen more closely. I started to become more patient with allowing someone to get to the end of their sentence before jumping in with a comment. Or after I asked them a question, pausing to give them time to respond, even if there's an uncomfortable moment of silence. Sometimes, an unrushed, uninterrupted thought can get you somewhere unexpectedly wonderful. Thanks for listening, and thanks to my dear friend Grace for contributing her piece to this series. If you have a personal essay you'd like to share about the pandemic and how it's changing the way you connect with other people, let us know. Drop me an email or give me a shout on the website. It's somescuffs.com. Theme music for this podcast was provided by Sobs, and sound design was by Lee Jaren.